Welcome to Talking Pictures. My name is Christian Genzel. I'm a filmmaker and film journalist from Salzburg, Austria. Talking Pictures is a podcast series in which I talk to the people who made some of my favorite movies. Today's guest is filmmaker Steve Beck, who created two notable horror movies in the early 2000s. 13 Ghosts, which came out in 2001, and Ghost Ship, which followed in 2002, both of them produced by Robert Zemeckis, Joel Silver and Gilbert Adler for their company Dark Castle Entertainment. 13 Ghosts was a remake of William Castle's B-movie classic by the same name from 1960, whereas Ghost Ship was an original story. Both movies are effective ghost stories starring several recognizable actors like F. Murray Abraham, Gabriel Byrne, Tony Shalhoub, Matthew Lillard and even a young Emily Browning. The real star of both films, however, is the production design. Both movies take place in fascinating, unusual horror houses. 13 Ghosts is set in a house made of glass that works like an intricate, demonic machine, while Ghost Ship is set on an abandoned 1960s ocean liner that is reminiscent of the underwater wreckage of the Titanic. Unfortunately, 13 Ghosts and Ghost Ship were Steve's only feature films. In his main career, he was an award-winning commercial director who created several Super Bowl commercials and worked for clients such as First Union, Pepsi, Gatorade, Toyota, Ford, BMW, Intel, Burger King and other large brands. Steve also worked as a graphic designer and worked as a visual effects art director for Industrial Light and Magic, where he was involved with movies like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, The Abyss and The Hunt for Red October. He also worked as a theme park designer and producer, as an illustrator, as a sculptor and more. In our interview, Steve shares his memories of the making of both 13 Ghosts and Ghost Ship, talks about the cast and the incredible spaces that were created for both films, discusses some of the unmade projects he worked on afterwards and much more. The interview with Steve Beck was conducted in connection with our German-language podcast Lichtspielplatz, so if you speak German, please visit www.lichtspielplatz.at and check out episode number 49, which features an in-depth discussion of both 13 Ghosts and Ghost Ship. If you enjoy my conversation with Steve Beck, please visit www.talkingpicturespodcast.com to check out our other interviews and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So with no further ado, here is Talking Pictures with Steve Beck. Yeah, I'd like to talk about 13 Ghosts and uh, Ghost Ship, your two features. Sure. Um, and um, before you made those films, you um, had a career as a graphic designer, as a visual effects art director, you did commercials. Um, so I was curious how you did the move into uh, feature film directing. How did you become involved with 13 Ghosts? Um, uh, you kind of touched upon some of that as a, an aspect of it. Um, I was primarily a commercial director, you know, my entire career. The, the two features were actually kind of like uh, capturing lightning in a bottle. It was kind of rare uh, to make that that change, but when I was um, with Industrial Light Magic uh, Commercial Pictures, um, we had a, a number of campaigns that were extremely um, forward-thinking and forward-looking. Uh, uh, one in particular for a, a bank, uh, if you can believe that or not, um, called um, First Union, which was an East Coast bank for the, the United States here. They wanted to do something that was strikingly visual in the last thing you would expect as being a bank commercial. And luckily enough for me, I got the, the nod to do the, the campaign. And the campaign actually ran for about three and a half, almost four years. And we produced, oh, how many different spots? About eight or nine 60 second spots for that particular uh, institution. And again, they being so uh, revolutionary in their look, uh, it caught the attention of a lot of people down in Hollywood kind of off guard. And when they would show these commercials, they were primarily meant for what we call it the Super Bowl here in the United States, which is our football championship, you know, game that's played every year. At that championship, all the major brands try and get their, you know, their commercials up on air and it has national attention. So it, it, the campaign ranked very, very well with uh, the folks down in Hollywood. And I got a phone call one day um, from Joel Silver's office. And uh, if you know Joel's background, he's quite a prolific producer uh, in, in Hollywood. And at that time, he had already made his name so many years before I even met him, just doing the action pictures with Bruce Willis, et cetera, et cetera. 
I've been quite successful at it with things like Predator and um, other pictures of that note. But anyways, I just got a call at the, you know, out of the blue uh, requesting I, a, a meeting. Uh, we went down and spoke with him and um, he just said, you know, you're the guy, we're not even auditioning. You, you know, you kind of start on Monday. And it was kind of like, wow, that's, that was unique because you know, my longest format had been 60 seconds before that point in time. So it was, it was unique to sort of step into the deep end of the pool with the biggest shark and produce something. And, you know, wonderfully enough, he gave me an immense amount of support and he coupled me with one of, um, I think one of my best friends and producers at the time were developed into, which was Gil Adler. Uh, Gil had done a lot of work with Joel before uh, as, well as, as well as directed for him and produced for him. And Gil was my producer and he certainly shepherded me along the way, but essentially drawing upon my visual effects acumen and my, to your point, my, my, my graphic design sort of uh, awareness, uh, 13 Ghosts kind of came out of the box completely different than the horror movies of the time. So uh, that was kind of what they were looking for was a different look and a different approach. Mm -hmm. yeah. Were you familiar with the uh, original 13 Ghosts? You know, I wasn't. And to be honest with you, Christian, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a horror fan. I, mm -hmm. I, I, the real world, world Real world scares me enough. So I always been in the mindset, why, why vent more fear if, if you can avoid it? So no, I didn't. But I met um, uh, Terry Castle, which was William Castle's daughter. Uh, she's the scion of the family legacy at the moment. And um, we talked about her father's work and all that stuff. And it was quite fascinating to learn his, his story, William Castle's story. Uh, of course, all of the... Um, up to my involvement, all the films that Dark Castle made were remakes of William Castle's pictures. And 13 Ghosts was in there as well. And he was, he was quite the showman. And so uh, I learned quite a bit about him and about 13 Ghosts and uh, what uh, he used to do as far as put his presentations out into the movie theaters and how he would pull all these kind of pranks on the, on the audiences per se. And it was, it was quite fascinating to learn. But uh, no, I wasn't aware of them before. Mm -hmm. So how involved uh, were you in the development um, of the film? Uh, how far was, was the screenplay ahead when you got on board? Um, the script was basically about 75% complete. Um, I was reminded that I wasn't hired to write the script, even though I had a few comments that I wanted to add to the script. Um, we went through a couple of different writers. We had the original writer, and then we had a guy named Rich DeVideo. Um, and it was mostly to massage a little bit of the logic that was involved with the film, as well as when we would add cast to the film, we would adjust the scripts to make sure the cast fit. And so that was a little bit of a change. For example, Rod Diggajon joined us at the, you know, at the 11th hour. And she being an LA rapper, of course, wasn't exactly in the William Castle <laughs> original film. So we had to kind of figure out how that was going to wedge itself in. But it was just sort of the zeitgeist of the time. And uh, it, it kind of kind of evolved. Um, the difficulty we had with the script was, um, unfortunately, we were in a glass house. So being inside a glass house, it's hard to hide anything new. So you would start on Monday in one room, and by the time you got to Friday, you were looking back at the same room you started because you could see at the distance. So it was difficult to hide story plot points in it. So we had to kind of come up with some new conceits that were in the original script. But uh, it all kind of worked together. And the casting that you mentioned with Rod Digger, I think it, um, it it's a very interesting ensemble that you got for the film. Some of the, the people who were very popular at that time and some mm -hmm. people who have, let's say, a little bit more clout to their name, like mm -hmm. Marie Abraham. Um, yeah. How did that cast come together? Um, well, yeah, we kind of wanted to start with something a little bit different. Um, we actually didn't start with, with the popular ones. Um, we started with uh, Tony Shalhoub. Mm -hmm. And kind of made sure that Tony was, he, 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 he had the right temperament and spirit for the film. He was just a TV actor for the most part by that time. I hadn't done a lot of feature work, but it was very popular on television, at least in American television. Um, and I just thought he had this great benevolent spirit was kind of, could, you could believe him as the father who would do anything to save his children. And he also had a wonderful sense of comic timing, which was important to the script because even in the first script, 
you know, uh, 13 Ghosts is a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek kind of horror movie. It's, uh, it's more lighter than your typical fare. And so we wanted to be able to play with the audience a little bit and have the characters play with each other to a, to a degree uh, with the situation. And Tony was kind of a master of that. Um, so I, I started with Tony and then kind of worked our way down through the rest of the cast. And we kind of added F. Murray at the end. But F. Murray was uh, such a blessing because he was such a veteran, you know, of, of, of filmmaking and of theater. He really brought a lot of credence to things, A. And B, he also he helped the other actors along with what they were doing. He would bring us wonderful sense of collaboration to the set as well. And when you have people like Ron Digga, this was her first film um, outside of, I'm sure, the, the music videos that she did. Um, he helped her along because they had some pretty key situations together as well. So it was, it was a wonderful collaboration. And I really felt the team supported the production. And it, it turned out how it turned out because of that sort of uh, collaboration. Yeah, it's interesting when you say that you started with Tony Shalhoub because I feel he grounds the film so yeah. much. He's just this instantly relatable kind of person and a very unusual choice, actually, I think, for um, like the lead character in um, mm -hmm. such a production. Yeah, he, he wasn't he, he wasn't the studio's first choice, but I thought he was the best choice and just sort of I, I just stuck with it. And the more people talked about it, met him and got through some of the original, you know, um, casting sessions, it seemed like, oh, this guy's glued in there right, right away. He was the guy. So mm -hmm. it, it, it did work out very, very well. Yeah, Good. I was really happy with Tony. And to the point where even we, um, we shot in Vancouver and edited somewhat at a small editing facility that I had in the San Francisco Bay Area. And Tony was up doing some, uh, I think, location um, shooting for Monk, the, the TV show he was associated with for years in San Francisco where it's based. And he actually came across the bridge and came to our little editing facility and, and watched the entire the entire film at a certain part just to make sure everything felt proper to him, which I thought was an amazing extension of his of his graciousness. And he didn't have to get involved with it, but he was very open to wanting to see how it turned out and, and had mm -hmm. notes and really, you know, was very, very pleased with what we'd done. Mm -hmm. Matthew Lillard was also involved. He was kind of one of those guys that was also associated with Scream, if you remember Matthew Lillard's uh, role in Scream. So he came from that popularity. Let's see who else was in there. Um, and Beth David was there. She had also scored some pretty high points in Hollywood at the time from her involvement from um, Schindler's List. Um, so she was also involved. And um, the girl from American Pie, uh, her name escapes me from the moment, who was just a darling. Just a wonderful actress. Um, Shannon Elizabeth. I thank you very much. Shannon brought a lot of also just veritas to the, to the screen and also just a lot of playfulness and lightfulness where we needed it um, because it kind of halfway through the film, you have to realize that these people are surrounded by the dead. They just don't know it. And that balance was kind of sought after when we were kind of doing the filming. So it, it, was, it was a wonderful cast who really worked hard to make the script work. Mm, yeah, when I rewatched the film um, just a couple of days ago, and I've seen it a couple of times over the years, but I've rewatched it now. Um, and I, I think I was most fascinated by Matthew Lillard um, mm -hmm. this time around um, because he is such a, he's so out there. He is so crazy and he's sort of the, the last person you would trust with the information that he gives <laughs> in the film. Yeah, yeah. No, he is a, uh, he pulled it off though. I mean, he really pulled it off. I felt, I felt if they ever made 14 ghosts, they could have Matthew star as the 14th ghost and, and, and do something interesting with the film. But uh, Matthew actually, I believe Matthew has transitioned and is now a full-time, you know, director too himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we still get his Christmas cards. Mm, that's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, so the, the main protagonist of the film, however, I think is not one of the actors, but it's the house itself, um, the glass house. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the ideas behind that design, behind that very particular place? Well, I, you know, interestingly enough, um, back to Joel Sower for a second. Uh, Joel, um, from what I understood, is quite an architecture fan. He's a mm -hmm. huge... Uh, uh, a fan of um, 
uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, who was a California architect, uh, an American architect of, of some renown. And Joel has owned some very famous forms of architecture in Los Angeles. So he's always been, that's always been on his radar and in his interest. And it was, it was Joel who came up with the glass house idea. It was in the original script. So somewhere in there, the conversations with the original screenwriter, um, Joel said, let's do something different. Let's make it a glass house. And so that, that just came from him. Now, our charge was to make it work. Of course, one of the things that um, was our initial challenge and everybody feared is it being glass, we're going to reflect the crew in it in every shot. You know, it's going to be a big, a huge mirror. Ironically, throughout all of our filming, we only saw our reflection once in the dailies. And we were just kind of flabbergasted. We had kind of escaped that one. But um, yeah, it, uh, it it worked out really, really well. And people were really impressed with the look. So we just kind of rolled with it and included some other things. I think when it, when it seemed like it was going to be working, we then wrote into the script all the spells on the glass and everything and how that was supposed to work and how that mythology formed itself within thinking of the, the logic of the film. So um, the, yeah, the glass was the glass was Joel's idea. And how involved were you in the like the design of the house, the particular details of that design? Yeah, again, that kind of comes from my background as well, being an art director. So, you know, I worked with a really, really wonderful um, production designer, uh, Sean. And Sean and I had done all the first union commercials together. So mm -hmm. we already had a working relationship. So he was my, he was my go-to. Well, Sean and, and Gail Tattersall, who was a DP, um, we had worked as a trio on all those those bank commercials, so we just kind of figured give them the same thing they they bought or were interested in initially, and and Sean probably you know was one of the most um, you know interesting designers that I've ever met in my life for doing that kind of visual work and really knew his way around it. It was a quite a um, uh, an engineering marvel because as you know uh, when you make sets. You know, it's very thin plywood and it's, you know, it, they go up for the 15 minutes you need for the shot, then they disappear and they move all over the place. Glass is extremely heavy, extremely heavy. And not only that, we had to use safety glass in case anybody went through a sheet of glass, for example. We had to use safety glass, which is essentially, you know, tempered glass, which is twice the weight of normal glass. So in essence, what we had to build was a giant structure made out of steel to hold the glass set inside it. And it was almost like we actually built a, a real house. It had, to, it had to support all that weight. So that gave us sort of also a, a form of how we could film and when we could film what. Because once we destroyed that, you know, and it is, of course, at the end of the film, it gets destroyed. We couldn't go back in and just keep shooting. When we destroyed the house, we had to set it back up, it took two weeks to reset the house and replace all the glass and keep shooting. But um, yeah, that's kind of not the way it worked. It was, it was interesting, yet there was no changing anything once it was set in place. Interesting. I, I feel that it's, it's one of the, um, I think one of the most striking places in, in horror films in general, not just of that era, but um, in, in general. I've never seen a place like this in, in, in any other film. I mean, there are a couple of, you know, horror houses, but this one is just a very, uh, very unique set. It's the antithesis of your gothic, you know, old mansion by the, by the river or something like that. We wanted to make sure it was completely different in a word. Did some of the mechanics of, of, of the set, were those um, actual, like, like the, the, the doors that opened, that slided open, stuff like that? Did they, were, that... They, were, they were a combination of practical effects as well as visual effects. Um, and we, we tried to get as much as we could in camera, but we also had the knowledge that we could do quite a bit in visual effects as well. And mm -hmm. ironically, our visual effects supervisor was Dan Glass. So he... <laughs> ironically he knew exactly what he was doing so <laughs> yeah and then there are all the ghosts um again another very interesting design i mean they're sort of like demons in a way yeah. um so how involved were you with, with the design of the ghosts um again uh, a lot of that stuff got sketched out by the original writer and he was he, he did he, he did his mythology study pretty well but he sketched out every single ghost and almost wrote singular stories for each so when we had our, 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 basically our ghost designer go to work on that stuff, we gave him all these stories and he would then sketch out 
the stuff because we wanted to make sure that it, they weren't just your basic. They actually had a, a bit of personality and character to them. So um, there was a, you know, you, you, you write the backstory of everybody and then you go about putting it together. And it was, it was quite fascinating, but yeah, they were really kind of articulated and, and known for what they had done. And, you know, their damnation was associated obviously with how they were rendered. So it was pretty, pretty cool stuff. Again, kind of different. Um, I think the one thing I would have <clears throat> preferred to do or liked to do upon reflection is had come up with more of a different way of revealing them uh, because mm -hmm. they kind of were, at the time we did a bit of, uh, you know, speed ramping and editing to kind of uh, present them. But I think I would have liked to have come up with a different design for that. But otherwise, that was real, I was real happy with them. Uh, you mean those scenes where the, you see the ghosts in short flashes? Um, exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. I would have liked to have come up with something a bit more inventive, but we, you know, it's a, it, it, the way that Dark Castle worked is they had a financial structure um, and a a production structure that worked very very well. And essentially, you get a bunch of actors, you put them in a box, and you don't let them go until the story's over. And so they don't travel. You don't have to pay for that kind of stuff. So everything that you got as far as a limited budget can go straight to the film. And that's how those Dark Castle movies worked. Mm -hmm. so, you know, we couldn't do a lot of visual effects, but we had some flexibility. Do you feel that there is a connection between the, the ghosts um, in the film, the, the look of the ghosts and the presentation of them, and uh, the sculptural work that you uh, did later on? Some of the, the sculptures that I, that I saw on your website? Uh, well, that's a, <laughs> that's, that's a curious uh, connection. Um, no, not really, but I, I, you know, I just sort of realized things, um, you know, in, in a lot of different ways and examine my world in different ways, uh, both 3D as well as obviously 2D, um, as well as digitally, of course. Um, but no, <laughs> they weren't connected as far as any kind of, you know, serious connection in my, in my mind, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, I, I, I saw the pictures, I looked at the, uh, the sculptures and some of them like um, the two bodies who are locked in that embrace, um, you know, with a, with, a, with a monkey wrench that sort of has that sort of damnation quality to it. Or there's this ghost with a, with a, with a head in the cage that <laughs> seems kind of connected. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's just something that's embedded within my thinking. I'm not sure what it might be, but a lot of, a lot of metaphors that were Uh, could could be could be. I'm always looking for an interesting way of trying to figure out who we are and what we're doing here, and you know what our relationships mean. And looking at things from metaphor, you know, metaphorical perspectives has always been of interest of mine. So, um, mm -hmm. but I don't think that works in regards to <laughs> the film at hand. But uh, I don't. Maybe it does. A lot of people see other things that I don't see. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, you mentioned that you 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 weren't a horror fan when you made the film. So I was wondering, um, did you feel that when you when you made a horror film? Um, did you see that as a challenge or did you, did you see that as a sort of um, actually a plus that you weren't sort of dealing with all the cliches that come along with uh, doing a horror film? No, uh, to, to be honest, I, I, I found it difficult because I wasn't aware of the structure, you know, of, of horror and uh, the execution of it. You know, everybody knows about, you know, the, the quick and easy scares and that kind of business, but there's, There is definitely a, a profound structure to horror, especially a really good horror movie or even a suspense thriller, you know, that you really, um, you really have to work at it to make them successful. Um, and I just, I, I just didn't have it. But luckily, again, like I said, you know, I, I had Gil there to, to help me out. And he had done, I know, several seasons of um, Tales from the Crypt. He had done a, at least one, a directed another one of the Dark Castle movies. So he knew horror a lot better than I did. So I had to lean into him quite a bit for this stuff. Um, again, it, it just wasn't part of my uh, bandwidth. But, you know, you kind of, once you kind of get into a, a mindset of telling the story, um, you do have to step away as the director and allow the actors to execute their roles if they're written correctly for the film because they will bring a lot of that veritas to the screen as well so you're mm -hmm. kind of almost watching as a bystander when you're watching you know people go through their performances and you have to ask yourself did that just scare me if it did well if something's going on here that's working very very well and you follow that line of thinking and that way of execution so 
the collaboration of filmmaking sometimes works in your benefit. You just have to provide the sense of theater and then let the actors take it from you and take it to the screen. <clears throat> Juliana Margulies said to me one time, look, it's, it's your name up there, but it's my face. So I want to make sure what I'm doing works. And she's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, uh, you do have to trust your actors to a certain degree to also provide the emotional reactions as well as the emotional setups for horror to work. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the, the second film that you did is also a horror movie, Ghost Ship, which I'm, I'm guessing grew out of um, your work on 13 Ghosts. Yeah, I mean, we did very, very well with 13 Ghosts, and I think the studio was really pleased with it. Uh, it got shot, it got made, it got edited, it got released to people's, you know, uh, pleasure. And I think it made the studio a bit of money and that always you know, works in your favor. Um, so they gave me another one to see if how that would work almost right on the heels of the first one. Um, and it was actually, a, it was far more of a psychological thriller initially. Uh, the film was called Chimera. Well, the script, not the film. The screenplay was called Chimera, the original one. Um, and Chimera was, if you will, um, it was um, a Treasure of the Sierra Madre, but on the ship, on a, on a derelict ship. And it didn't have any ghosts. And it didn't have any of this other stuff. It just had seven people who all discovered a ship that had a bunch of gold on it that nobody could account for. And now what happens? Well, they start hunting each other down. You know, it's like a last man standing, if you will. That was the original intent and um, the original concept for 13, excuse me, for Ghost Ship. But what happened, very significantly, what happened to all of our cultural perspectives was 9-11. So in between 13 Ghosts and Ghost Ships, the, you know, the, the towers came down in New York. And when that happened, everything kind of splintered apart as far as the way people saw how films should be made and um Warner Brothers specifically said, we don't want to create any more anti-heroes at this time because it was all anti-hero, that story. And so it, it evolved into more of a, a um, you know, a, a supernatural tale as opposed to one of just straight up suspense. And when that happened, um, you know, the, the, the theme of the movie shifted quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because you can still see sorts of traces of that um, yeah. element in the film, the, the greed element. It's just that they're working together um, and the greed brings them down um, or that's sort of the explanation, but. Um, it's, it's more the fuel, as, uh, more, but it's not, the, it's not the primary driver. And in the original script, it was the primary driver. And it was, it was I think it was a far more fascinating script. I think that's what attracted our cast to go ship it just didn't get made that way mm-hmm. due to really nobody's you know fault it just was the way the world shifted at the time mm-hmm. yeah i read that the actors were kind of disappointed that um it wasn't the original script that they were yeah, making that they, want, that they wanted no 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 what we wanted either but it was just you know you are paid to do what you're paid to do so go do it no matter so we just we just muscled on shouldered on and, and, and finished the film Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it's a film with a very, very specific set, a very specific place, um, which mm-hmm. I, I think is also another great place to explore um, in a way. Yeah, you know, we uh, we we shot it down in Australia, and because of the exchange rate at the time, we were we were able to create instead of ten or fifteen sets, we created over twenty five, and it really really allowed us to expand the you know the sense of scope for the story. And when that happened, you know, they were able to explore more, more different themes and that kind of stuff and really get kind of a, a wonderful look to, to everything. And again, we brought Gail Tattersall down with us to film it as well. So you know, he brought his uh, artistry to the bear as well. So really happy with the crews down there in Australia. They work really hard and do really good work. So. But I think the budget of, of Ghost Ship was smaller than that of 13 Ghosts. Is that right? No, that was vice versa. Because we had done well with 13 Ghosts, they gave us a little bit more money for, for Ghost Ship. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And again, the exchange rate was the, the, real, the real hero of the time. So did that allow you to um, you know, realize a couple more ideas that uh, you couldn't do on 13 Ghosts? It, 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 opened up our, it opened up our vistas a little bit more. 
for example, um, the big orchestra scene where the ship kind of comes back together and relives itself back in 19 whatever, 1960, it allows us to get those scenes a lot bigger and employ uh, a lot more people to, to add to the cast and add more extras and stuff like that and, and costume them appropriately. So that was the helpful part. Mm-hmm. But it was still, <clears throat> it's still a story about seven people who, you know, are greedy as hell and see where they go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Italian film Island of the Dead? No, I don't think. <laughs> like I said, I don't watch horror movies. Bruno Mattei. Now, the reason I'm asking is because uh, Island of the Dead copies several scenes uh, from Ghost Ship. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And they copy them exactly. Like you have a scene uh, where the it's like it's not a captain. They're on an island, but you still have that kind of like a fortress or something you have uh, the leader of the group sitting down in an old office and drinking whiskey with the ghost of a conquistador uh, who, who used to be there you have that hmm. scene where the ghost lures somebody into that elevator shaft you have the maggot eating scene so did you know at some point it's not a coincidence and especially they they copy the entire scene they have like the entire <laughs> like the whole dialogue and everything copied from oh, those really? scenes wow. well, you know so you mentioned the maggot eating scene that was that was completely um, uh, unrehearsed they those those guys just wanted to do that one day they wanted to grab a camera and just give it a shot and i said if you're gonna eat maggots i'm not gonna get in your way so they just went off and filmed that scene, you know, sort of independently. And it came back from the notes came back from the studios was what, what scene is this? This isn't even in the script. <laughs> I know but it, was, it was so good. We have to keep it. So it made its way into the film. So those are real maggots. Real maggots. Oh yeah. By the spoonful. <laughs> I was like, okay, if you want to do that, you know, I'm not sure they're going to get an Oscar for it, but you know, you'll be known for that for a while. <laughs> it's true it's one of the scenes that people really remember oh from yeah <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah i'm sure he's i'm sure carl urban has asked quite a few times you know to repeat the maggot scene and he has to turn them down every time so <laughs> it was a, it was it was a it was a it was a difficult shoot because of the script change it was so radical and it was it, i think um the politics of the situation could have been handled better um they weren't um, unfortunately, um, and I think to a certain degree that kind of, I, it kind of feels like it made its way onto the film, if you will, but maybe that's good because there's a sense of antagonism that sort of permeates the entire story and that's mm-hmm. the nature of the story. So you just kind of go like, oh, okay. So that happened. It's interesting. It's true that the actors have a kind of, I don't know, they feel kind of tense. They do. <laughs> From the get-go, they feel kind of tense, yeah. <laughs> and it's not because of the, it's because of the script, but it's not because of the story kind of thing. But yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. But it was, again, between the two, if I had to have, uh, say which was my favorite, it was definitely 13 Ghosts. Mm-hmm. Now, the reviews of both films um, weren't that great. I mean, I think the reviews all praised the production design, but, um, well, not the rest of the movies. Um, so how much did you follow those reviews? How, how did you uh, Well, you, you have to, you know, how should I say this? Um, uh, I, I don't take a lot of that stuff too seriously um, because I don't, um, I don't weigh myself by it. I don't judge myself by it. So it's like, you know, and, and, and their call outs on stuff is like, you know, when you make a film, Christian, you're just trying to survive the shoot. I mean, it is literally a march through hell. It, it is it is all draining. It is is all consuming. It is it's with you 24 seven. It's it invades your dreams and you wake up exhausted. It's it's hard to make a film. And you would think, well, you know, what are the issues at hand? And you, it's timing, it's people's performances, it's, it's all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. It, there's a lot that goes on with making a film. And you, you really have to just you know, pat yourself on the back that you got through it. Yeah. Um, now, that's not, you know, to say that um, people can't improve. Um, everybody can and everybody does. And, you know, and that's just the nature of it all. But I... I kind of looked at it like, well, I, I did it. You know, I, I wasn't a feature director, nor did I ever want to be. I loved film, and this all almost killed my love for film. Um, it was just, it's, it's just a brutal experience that you go through. 
And, but you, you know, you come out of it, you learn, you listen, you know, people do have some really sort of uh, good criticism when it comes to this stuff, but I never wanted to make my career doing horror. So it was like, okay, I understand all your criticisms associated with it and we'll just let it be with where with it be. I mean, at the end of the day, they're B movies made of B movies. Mm. So it's not like you're taking Gone with the Wind and, and trying to do something spectacular with it, you know, a Potemkin or something. It's you're just doing a B movie and you're converting it and updating it to another B movie. And so I was I was happy to get through it. And a, a lot of people had a lot of fun watching it, and that was the basic requirement. And it was very successful. Now, what pleases me is nowadays I will now and again I will read people's you know enjoyment and love for the films. I mean, some people just think they're the cat's pajamas and I I, I don't know why but, <laughs> but but it seems to work for some people and I'm, and I'm pleased I've actually made that sort of happen so but after I got done with the films I went back to doing what I did before and was happy until I retired mm-hmm. so you know that's kind of the way it all works out in my mind I, I think the movies connect with people and especially in that sense that there are places to be um, to, to be looked at, to be explored in a way, um, mm. I guess, because that's what people remember from from those movies, I think, um, the, the spaces and then some of the individual parts, like the opening scene of Ghost Ship. Um, everybody oh, I talk to remembers yeah. that opening, se- even if they don't remember anything else from Ghost Ship, that opening sequence is sort of that. It's, per- it's perfect. Uh, it's basically perfect. The opening scene and then the rest of the film goes right down into the toilet. <laughs> the opening scene is really good. I completely agree. It was it was set up right. It had the right music. It had the right tone, and it went straight down from there. But um, you know, that opening scene we got right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were there for a few nights doing that one too. <laughs> but you know, it's you know you you know you, you you play. I mean, you know, you could have said the same thing about Alien. You know, Ridley Scott's Alien is just a phenomenal film. Same thing. It was it it just took place someplace entirely different and it just took everybody off guard and i think that's kind of what horror can do and can be if you you know think about it in that sense of terms mm-hmm. you know the more inventive the place the more interesting i think the horror can become you have that line on your website where you say story and images it took you a lot of time to find out the difference between uh, the two of them and I was wondering how that applies to your films, because, um, again, I think the pleasure in the films is um, the the images that you can look at and the, the, the spaces that you can explore. And I think the story is, well, sort of the vehicle to carry us through those images in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've always maintained <clears throat> at the end of the day that human beings, we learn how should I say this? The depth of our learning comes from information from stories. Stories have a, I, for my mind, we have a construction, uh, a mental construction where stories, uh, they seep into our psyche and they we're able to absorb rules from perspectives told through storylines. I mean, we all have rules that we live by. You can't drive this fast and you can't do this and you can't do that. There's just basic rules that we have. But if we're told a story about that, for some reason, for somehow, that human experience um, anchors us more deeply than just the adroit, flat-out rule itself. And so I think to a large degree, humans learn primarily by story. Uh, So that is different to me. I mean, the visuals are sort of the carrot on the stick towards the story, but it's the story itself that you actually, it's the residue of that stuff that sticks you with you over time. Yes, there are moments... <clears throat> within story like the opening of ghost ship that you know have a definite impact on you but you kind of have to go through the whole thing and remember oh yeah it's about what happens when you just get too greedy especially around the supernatural bad things happen so you know for me if you if you can taunt tease and lure an audience in with the visuals and then deliver an amazing story then you're successful then you've got really, I think, you know, something wonderful on your hands. That's what really kind of fascinates me is when you kind of come in one door and you go out the next and and you're surprised by that experience. I think that's what makes great cinema. Mm -hmm. 
But you did have a couple of, of other films in development, I think, after 13 Ghosts and Ghost Ship. I found a couple of titles uh, like Black Ice and uh, The Creation. Um, yeah, no, we had some wins. Again, like I said before, <clears throat> said initially, um, making a film is, is like capturing lightning in a bottle. It's, you know, there are a lot, a lot of qualified filmmakers out there. And to actually be chosen to work on a project that's been greenlit, financed, and cast is, is an extremely rare opportunity. Extremely rare. And I found out over the next 10, 15 years after we made these films, how rare that opportunity was. And yes, there was, there was five different films I was attached to that you know, got this close to being greenlit and they just didn't. And after 15 years you know, on, the, on the development wheel, I just got tired of you know, going through the process of going down to LA every week for meetings and that kind of business and just sort of said, you know, I, I had my chance. You know, I, I was lucky enough to stand at the plate and take a couple of swings. You know, I played the game, put a few points on the board, and I felt very lucky, very fortunate to have done that. But there were other stories, some very fascinating ones I would love to have told, but they just didn't happen. Can't, can't say, you know, why this timing, whatever the issues were, you know, the finances, whatever they could have been. So it's just the way things worked out. Uh, what were some of those stories that you developed? Well, you mentioned creation, for example. Um, that was a, a story that we had worked with the Bubble Factory on. Now, the Bubble Factory was uh, folks that were left over from Universal Pictures. And, um, and it was a fascinating tale of men's, of course, it was science fiction. Uh, I should probably um, state that initially. It was science fiction. And the, and the idea was that um, there was a group of aliens who had come to Earth to hunt and they wanted to hunt the biggest game in the universe and at the time the biggest game in the universe were the dinosaurs well by the time they got here what had happened was another ship had crashed into the earth and that ship had caused a, a cataclysmic event that has killed all the dinosaurs so when they got here all of that stuff was gone all that stuff was dead and what was left was the occupants of that ship, which were a lot of other beasts from a lot of other planets that just got released onto Earth. And part of those were humanoids. And so these aliens then decided to hunt the humans. And so that became the big game question. It was kind of like the great white hunter set, you know, in science fiction. But uh, that was a really kind of interesting premise um, about the nature of our creation. I really liked that story. Um, Black Ice was another interesting uh, story. It took place also on board a ship, but it was, uh, it was about how the overarching uh, theological premise was that the devil was actually condemned not to hell, uh, a lake of fire, but more akin to um, Dante's Inferno, where he is condemned to a lake of ice. And so because of global warming, that ice has now melted and they have found the Dark Lord in a block of ice and they're transporting it back to civilization and they know what's going to happen. It's going to be bad. So that was also kind of an interesting premise as well. And then there was a bunch of Babylon 5 uh, was going to be remade and I was at the helm of that for a while. And I think they eventually finally made a version of it, but I'm not sure it was a theatrical version as opposed to just an updated, you know, five or six uh, episode series that got released. Uh, that was also in the hopper for a while. Yeah, there was always something. Mm -hmm. So sounds like really interesting projects. It's oh yeah, no, I, I, I could go on. I mean, Hollywood's filled with <laughs> projects out the wazoo of just really interesting storylines and opportunities and, and conceits that yeah, they just they just don't get to see the light of day. It's it's interesting because of the the timing. I think that. Um, I've heard that from from a couple of people, you know, starting somewhere in the 2000s, where, where you had that shift in Hollywood, where um, everything had to be based on, you know, a pre-existing uh, property, like it's it's a sequel, it's a remake, it's, you know, something along those lines. And so um, all of those original ideas that were floating around were so sort of disappearing in a way, because nobody, you know, wanted to to risk making them. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. It, it's a, it was a risk question, you know, uh, a risk on an unknown concept is, is a big risk, you know, so let's make, um, 
you know, the Beverly Hillbillies or something like that, but where people could recognize it. And, you know, that's just the nature of it's. It's. It is. I. I, I learned, frankly, Christian. It is show business. It's a business. Mm and you have to respect it and you have to acknowledge it and it has requirements and expects a rate of return you know and when that doesn't happen bad things happen careers end you know they dry up they don't go anywhere so you know there's a there is a financial gain that is required to be had from show business and you have to be able to return it so as wonderful as we all have scripts in our mind or stories that we'd love to see or hear or watch they have to return it you know, a certain financial, you know, investment. So, mm. yeah, it's kind of sad, but that's just the nature of it all. And if somebody, you know, today came to you and offered you something, just like it did with 13 Ghosts, um, would you come out of retirement? <laughs> it'd have to be really good and not really big. That'd be the one thing, or it'd be the, my last thing I'd ever do on this planet. Um, it, would, it would depend on the story. It, it would depend on the story. Yeah, it would have it would have to mean something to me. Otherwise, you know, it's it, it extracts a, a large part of your soul to make a movie. So you mm. have to prepare for that. So mm -hmm. yeah. I've got a lot of writing that I just do personally that I enjoy doing, just telling my stories on paper, and that that's good enough for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you publish those anywhere? I'm trying yeah, again. You know. There's, Somebody's got a book to publish every day, so at least I got a little bit more of a. Uh, the the averages are more in my favor, I guess I should say. But it's still, you know, it's still a competitive field as well. And, and writing is a very, as you know, writing is a very lonely, you know, existence. Mm, that's yeah. true. Yeah. I, I do miss the camaraderie of filmmaking. I must, I must confess that I, I do miss all the people that you know that were part of the army that you see every day. Yeah. It's an interesting comparison when you say army because it's like oh yeah people sometimes say film is like war and you, you go through something very intense together and that sort of creates a bond with people i guess yeah yeah no it, it certainly does and you know there's it's a misfit army because you can't figure out how this is going to work together <laughs> but somehow it does it's 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 really unique that way but um you know it's uh It, it is a collaborative effort, and it's a lot of different people who know a lot of different things that they combine together and create these wonderful moments that we sit for two hours and enjoy. Mm -hmm. And we gather something from, and hopefully something is learned and absorbed by the, you know, by the human spirit, and we're able to con convert that into our daily activity, you know. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, knock on wood. And you're not doing commercials uh, anymore no. either? No, commercials, uh, um, you know, it is, uh, it is a young man's game. And I learned that about age 52, 53, 54, when I was looking like Gandalf in the room. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, who's the old guy? So it's, it's definitely a young man's uh, theater. So I just decided it was, you know, I, I had done well enough where I could sort of step back and just enjoy my time now with my kids and my grandchildren and stuff like that. So mm. I had a great time making commercials, though. It was, it was kind of the, the best uh, format for me because you are, you know, it's a certain amount of time is allowed to make a certain amount of product. And although it is a very commercial product, what you have to do is make something so unique that's not commercial that people remember it. And yet it still has to have a logo on it and then the pack shot at the end. And so you get to learn how, to, how, to, how the human mind works in 30 seconds. And mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a fascinating sort of little experiment on making what I call mini masterpieces. And how you can like, you know, if you can do them well, people will remember it. And that's all about, it's all about retention. And so, you, you know, you just try and do your best and, you know, try and surprise everybody every now and then with the good commercials. It's, it's hard to do, but it was, a, it was enjoyable. Yeah, I've seen the the um, first Union commercials that you mentioned at the beginning that led to to Thirteen Ghosts, and um, I found those amazing. I think those are almost like trailers for some kind of Brazil meets Blade Runner type of dystopia. But I was so 
amazed that a bank would finance such a commercial because it oh. almost feels like <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to be in the financial world after <laughs> after seeing those commercials. Well, that's kind of the irony because I, you know, you, you you create this thing and you want to put your bank in the middle of it. And, you know, you're you're making fun of everybody, and yet you're the biggest thing in the environment. Is this really what you're trying to tell us? You don't want to kind of cut to the nice, warm, friendly one that's on the corner that we're going to go you know, that you know your bank teller personally. It, it was it was kind of like. Like they got close to the edge and then they just didn't quite get it. But yeah, they were still fascinating to work on. So we just kept kept shooting, kept saying, okay, they would come back and say, hey, how about this? Yeah, we'd love to. So it was it was a unique experience in that at the end of the day, what happened is they were so popular that the head of the agency just would send us a script on paper and just tell us to go do it. And they wouldn't show up to the shoots or anything like that. Would you just, we just made these commercials with almost like kids in a candy store. And the more outlandish the, they were, the more he enjoyed them. And it was just so strange from what I'd been experienced before in my commercial career. So, but it was a, it was a blessing. It was truly one of those opportunities. You just, you only get once. And, and that's, that was the one time. And unfortunately, I didn't. I didn't go through the music video phase of my career. I just it didn't cross my path at all. So I always saw those as my music video days. Mm -hmm. You know, we just kind of let loose and just go do crazy things. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so I think this basically covers what I have in my notes. Here, let me show you something uh, before we before we stop. Uh, can you see this? Yes, I can. <laughs> this is the original <laughs> ticket stop from when I saw oh, really? this back in 2003. <laughs> well, hopefully you saw the ring first. <laughs> yes, the ring was first. And actually, that didn't help because the, the, the ring is such a modern horror film. And that really got under our skins. The ring is really good. <laughs> I, I, can, I confess, it was so much better than Ghost Ship. It was a really good film. Uh, yeah, that's fine with me. But like I said, my my favorite my favorite um, thriller like Ghost Film uh, was um, The Sixth Sense. To me, that was the scariest mm -hmm. thing I, I'd ever seen. I, I don't know how M Night came up with that thing, but you know, his first film that he wrote, I it was just complete magic to me. Mm. The scary as hell. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and so. and so fascinating to watch such a personal story too such an emotional story yeah and then have that such an amazing you know twist at the end mm. nobody saw it coming and it was there the entire time and i was yeah. talking to a kathy kennedy once about it and she said it we can't make this movie because you've already given it away in the first scene how can we make it <laughs> And they just kept shooting, going like, it's not going to work because we already know he's dead because he got shot the first scene. And they kept making it. And it worked. And nobody saw it. Yeah. But just the beauty of you know the filming. But I always thought Six Heads was, it's my favorite horror film. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the Ring's also very good. Very good. <laughs> so, just saying. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure, sir. Thank you.